before I start off reading the text, <clears throat> I want to read to you a letter that I received in the mail this week. And this happens periodically where, where I get letters sent to me, and, and sometimes they're letters of encouragement, sometimes there's letters of rebuke, sometimes there's letters that condemn me. Um, just recently I was condemned as a man who was taking my whole family to hell because I didn't agree with him. I know, it's a shocker, I know. I remember growing up, you know, my mom said, who was it? You tell me, who was it? <laughs> so I got this letter in the mail this week, and, and it actually ties really well into what we're talking about. And it's called the pulpit problems. Truth has become a pick-and-choose buffet instead of a commitment to God's Word. And it's talking about this study that was done, and it says that, that this university found that 62% of pastors don't have a biblical worldview. Instead, they have a worldview of synchronism. In other words, a little bit of this and a little bit of that mixed together with Christianity. And so the ideal of having a biblical worldview is someone that is dedicated to seeing things the way the Bible presents it. And, and that's our goal. But I know that it's not always the case. And according to this study, 62% of pastors don't even hold to a biblical worldview, meaning they're willing to compromise in some issues in life because that's what our society does, that's what people do, that's the majority do. And it continues on, it says, rather than building their thinking on God's word, the majority of pastors are basing their beliefs on personal preference. In other words, it's like I've been saying for years, many in the church, including its leaders, have set themselves up as the authority over God and his word. It is devastating disease, it is affecting both the pulpits and the pews. Now, I agree completely with this statement because as the last almost last month or so we've been talking about teachers and the rise of the teachers and the importance of teachers and how to find a good teacher because there is a danger and a disease that is affecting the body of Christ now I'm speaking in general terms I'm not speaking about every pastor or every church but there is a movement that is happening in our society where teachers have overtaken our ability to think and to analyze the text Listen, I, I have some very strong views when it comes to the Bible. And I have a scriptural path for every single one of those views. I just don't hold on to something because that's what I learned in a creed. I don't hold on to something because that's what my denomination told me to believe. I really do love the Word of God, and I believe this, that all God's Word is God-breathed. I, I, I do believe that. And you know, if you ask everyone in church, they'll say, amen, brother, amen. But when it comes to holding to God's word, that's where it becomes a little more difficult. Now, what's interesting is, is this letter came from an organization called Answers in Genesis. This came from a, a, a website called Answers in Genesis. And Answers in Genesis, it's interesting because I happened to uh, hear about this website from a book that someone wrote from my, my uh, latest book here, I wrote this about Answers in Genesis. It says, on their website, Answers in Genesis, an organization dedicated to proclaiming the authority from the Bible from the very first verse without compromise, wrote an article called The Copernicum, The Copernican System, and the Bible. This ministry is, is dedicated to defending God's word. 
What do they have to say about the Bible and Copernicus? Maybe the answers in Genesis will have a better luck making God and science work together. And I go on and explain their view on how they handle the Copernican system where the sun is at rest and the world is moving compared to geocentrism where the earth is at rest and everything else moves. And they go through and they, they, they tell us that the Bible is not interested in any of that. It's not interested in any of that, so shouldn't even worry about it. And what they do is they purposely leave out Scripture that would contradict their stance. You see, I don't think we have to leave Scripture out. I don't think we have to run from Scripture. I'm not afraid of Scripture because, you know what I, listen, can I let you in a little secret? The Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. You know what it also says? It's useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, so what? So we'll be thoroughly equipped. So here's a little secret. God actually wants you to learn his word. And he doesn't hide it from you. He doesn't, he doesn't make sure that, you know, the only people that know it are people that go to school and, and have this great education. No. Sorry, guys. You paid a lot of money for I'm sorry. It's just You don't have to do that. I did that. But you know what? You just got to hold to God's word. And when you hold to God's word, it, it starts to open up who he is. It starts to reveal. And then when you learn his word and who he is, you know what? You start to learn his voice. Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. He didn't say that just so that we would be out there guessing who is he. No, he says you can know my voice. And that's why the, the, the word of God is so important. So this morning, I want to talk about Genesis 1 and the Trinity. Genesis 1 and the Trinity, because this is a very interesting portion of Scripture here. I'm turning to here thinking that she's going to do it, and I got it right here. Okay. Genesis 1, it says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So this verse is a very important part because a lot of people believe and teach that this is evidence of the Trinity in the Old Testament. Now, the reason why I'm talking about this subject is because I want you to understand how teachers work. I like to analyze how things work. And so when, when it comes to teaching, how do people teach this verse? Because this was the way I was taught in Bible college. This is what I was taught back in my home church. That, that when you read these verses, this is telling us that this is God the Father, the Son, the Trinity in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, I have a very close friend, a dear friend, who just preached about this verse and said, yep, this is the Trinity. And so we represent it by this picture here, that God is in the center, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you notice that the Son on the outside is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son. But all three of them are God. The Son is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. And these are things we believe. We believe in the triune God. So when the Bible tells us that let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, who is the Father talking about? And so this is what I want to help you understand. And so we're going to break this down in a little technical, but I'm going to do my best to make it applicable to our lives. And so here we go. And, and by the way, you don't need to know Hebrew in order to enjoy God's Word. So I just want to say that up front. First of all, it says, Then God said, and we reviewed this a little last week, but I want to make sure we kind of are on the same footing here before we continue on. This is what the text would say in Hebrew. 
Then God said, and, and the first line is what we would read as our surface text, the English language. The second line is what it actually is written in Hebrew. Now Hebrew is written backwards from the way we read. We read from, from left to right, but in Hebrew you read from right to left. So you actually have a backwards book in the Hebrew text. But you can't really write it that way and still read it in English. So what they do is they put these little numbers there. If you see the second line, there's a one, a two, and a three. And what that one tells us is that's the first word in the sentence. The two tells us that's the second word. Three tells us and so forth. And so it kind of helps you know where it is in Hebrew. The next line is, the, is just basically how you pronounce the Hebrew language. And so you notice God. Everyone's very familiar with the word Elohim. And that's just a, a word for God. And so that's the way we translate it. And then the third or the fourth line tells us the actual way the word is being used, whether it's a noun, a direct article, whether it's plural or singular. And so what I want you to see here is that whenever you read the word God in your Bible, in the Old Testament, God... It is a form of the word Elohim, and it's always plural. Always plural. There, there's, no, there's no other way to translate this word. It is simply, if you just translate this word by itself, it is God's. That's what it says, God's. Now, wait a minute. In the beginning, God's didn't create the heavens and the earth. Well, according to ancient aliens, they did. I mean, you've seen that TV show. I mean, they tell us that it's true. But, but if you notice, though, the verb... God said, the verb is a singular verb, that's what the blue circles are showing, and God, Elohim, is plural. And the way the Hebrew language works is this, that whenever you have a verb, whether it's, whether it's singular or plural, will determine what the, the subject is, the noun is. And so because God's, God is written as a plural always, it doesn't matter as long as the verb tells us that it's singular. So this is a way for the Hebrew writers to kind of let us in. Now what's, what's interesting is, is all those little dots and the little markers in the Hebrew language, those weren't there in the original text. And so it's all just text. And so it's very hard. So they, they came up with these ideas in order to help understand what they're trying to say. So whenever you read this, we know that it's God that's talking. In verse 26, then God said, let us create let us make mankind in our, own, in our own image and likeness. We know that we're talking about the Most High. So that's, that's the first part. And then the second part says, let us make mankind in our image. Once again, you notice the blue circles. The first part of the sentence started off in God said, which is a singular sentence. It's a singular aspect. It's talking about God. So now we have God said, and now he's going to talk and say something. And this is what he said. Let's make, let us make mankind in our image. And you notice that the word, the verb make is a plural. So whatever the subject is going to be, it's also going to be plural. And that's why we translate the word our image. Because if you read verse 27, it says that when God did create him, he created him what? In his image, in his likeness. So the terminology is pretty plain in, in verse 27. But here... God is actually asking or saying, making a statement and he says, let's make mankind in our, plural, our image. Well, Pete, this is talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It does, it's not that easy. So what, listen, and oh, I don't want to give any spoilers here, but I do believe the Trinity was at work in creation, but I don't believe this verse is talking about it. And here's why I say this. You notice the, the red circle. That is an indicator to help us know that that word is actually not in the Hebrew language. 
that there's actually no word that's being translated there. The reason why those arrows are there is to help us know that this is kind of the sense of what we're talking about. So in Hebrew, it would literally say, God said, make mankind in our image. But in English, we don't really get that, so we say, let us. And why do we say let us? Because the verb is plural, the pronoun is plural, and it's all speaking in a plural sense. So this is a great translation. Let us make mankind our image. So who is God talking to? Who is God talking to? Well, let's look at this verse for a second. And I want to show you how God speaks. The Bible says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And this is the Tower of Babel. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they do they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So who's going to confuse the language? Okay, you guys thought, man, oh, did that come to class? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? God's going to come and confuse their language. And he says what? Do you notice the first part of this verse? It says that the Lord came down. And whenever you see the, the word Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, it's talking about Yahweh. So it's not using the, the general word Elohim. It's talking about Yahweh, the actual, the name that we would use for God. So Yahweh came down. So the Bible is writing this reference to telling us that God came down. So he came down. And then he sees what's going on. And then verse 7, it says, come, let us go down. And who's he talking to? Because God's already there on the scene. God's already here. The Bible tells us that the Lord came down to see, and now he's speaking, and he says, come, let us go down and confuse our language. This is something that happens all throughout the Old Testament, and it's a very important picture that, that is being painted. Because see, like I said, I believe the Trinity at work is at work in the, 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 um, the Old Testament because the Bible tells us it's in John. And I'll go through this in a minute here. But if you notice the language, this ideal is being painted that here comes Yahweh, the unspeakable name of God comes down. And now he says, come, let us go. Why is this like this? Because who's he speaking to? The Bible tells us this. Let's just let's see. Oh, I don't have this verse here. But the Bible tells us this in Psalm 24:10. Who is he, the King of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the King of glory. Who is the Lord Almighty? The ideal of the Lord Almighty, I think, is, is it's, a, it's, it's a proper translation, but I don't think it's the best translation. You know how the King James translates it? Who is the King of glory? Who is the Lord of hosts? He's the Lord of the armies of heaven. He is the Lord of this heavenly host that surrounds him. And so in Genesis 11, He's saying, let's come. Who could he be talking to? Well, I know this, that there is a host of people around him that is his army. And that's why I love translating the, the, the Psalm 24 as the Lord of hosts. So whenever you read in your Bible, the Lord Almighty, it's usually translated as the Lord of hosts as well. So the Bible says in verse 7, come, let us go down. Now, the Father knows what he wants to do, and so would the Spirit of God. And so there's this idea that's being painted in the Old Testament of a beautiful thing. Remember, our problem is we know the end of the story. 
We know the end of the story. Just like, you know, we think of the story of Abraham as a great story of faith. But you put yourself in Abraham's shoe. You put yourself and leave everything you have for almost 25 years without any evidence that it's going to happen. 25 years he waited in order for the promise. Now that makes the story a little more difficult. That makes the story a little more harder because is it worth waiting for? Is it worth waiting for? Some of us are so impatient we give up on God too soon. But I'll tell you this, that if you do not give up, the Bible says you will be rewarded. Do not lose your confidence. Do not shrink back, for you will be rewarded. So here, the Bible gives us these pictures in here, and we're going to go through this a little bit later next week, too, about showing you how God shows up, and then an angel shows up, and then God shows up, and it's the same thing. So God created mankind. This is verse 27. So it says at the beginning, um, or the 26, that it was God said, singular, and let us make mankind, plural, and he's talking to somebody. And then it says this in verse 20, so, so God, plural, Elohim's plural, created, and you notice that word created is singular, so now we know we're talking about the most high God, mankind in his, and because it's singular, we know that we were created in the image of our God. That's what the Bible says, which is completely, it's, it's a different form because in 27 is singular, and in 26 it's plural. Why am I saying this? Because I want you to know that just because we think something or we overlay our thoughts on Scripture, we have to always read the Bible with a very careful eye upon this. And like I said, you need the Holy Spirit. That's it. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. I believe that. That's what the New Testament tells us, that, that, that you can get a close relationship, that, that you don't even need a teacher because he will teach you. And yet the Bible does tell us that God gives gifts to the church, pastors and teachers, but you can learn from him. And here's why I'm telling you this, because it's very important to look and to say, okay, we know something's, something's different here. God said, let us... And it's kind of confusing, but then he says when he did it, he did it in his image. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. What about, what about the Spirit of God? Because remember the Spirit of God that was hovering over the waters? Yes, there you go. That's proof that the Trinity was there. That's what Moses was writing about. I want to show you something about the Spirit of God. If you notice, these, this verse comes from Psalm 106, and it says this, For they rebelled against the Spirit of God. Now, in context, you'll realize that the they is Israel. And so the Bible is telling us that for, for Israel rebelled against the Spirit of God. Now, if you read this in Hebrew, you could read it like this, that the wind rebelled against God. You could read it like this, Israel rebelled against God. You could read it like this, that God rebelled against the Spirit. Well, you can't really read it that way, and I'll explain why. So here's what's happening here in this text. You notice the word rebelled, that's the verb. And it is going to send an action to something. Who's the subject? Who's the people we're talking about? Israel. They. And what did they do? They rebelled. And against who? Well, the Bible tells us that it's the spirit. Now, you notice there's an arrow there. So why do we put the in spirit there? Why do we put it? Because we know, according to this text, we are actually talking about the Holy Spirit. And here's how. Whenever... There in Hebrew, like I said, you can mix the words anyway. So different authors can put words in different orders and they'll still come up with the same thing if you follow their grammatical formula. If you notice the arrow is pointing to a dot, that dot lets us know 
that, that word, there is a word there in Hebrew, but we do not translate it in English. So you notice that there is a dot between against and the spirit. And you also notice that when it comes to of God, there's also dots underneath it. And when you have a dot underneath it, what that tells you is this, that there's no word there in Hebrew. So if we read this in Hebrew, it would simply say, for rebelled against the spirit. So why do we translate this as English? And this is a good translation of English. It means this. Whenever you have a verb, it points to a marker. It says, okay, who am I talking about? Am I talking about something in general or am I talking about someone specific? Imagine if I said this. Today, Olivia is going to walk down an aisle. Well, which aisle? Is it a wedding? You didn't even let me know. Or it may be it's graduation. Maybe she's going to walk down the school aisle. But if I said today that Olivia is going to walk down the aisle and we're at school, you would know, oh, it's a graduation. Because the aisle is something specific. And the way we get that is by an article, the, in English. But if you notice, there's no article here in, 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 in this text, even though you're like, I don't even know what it says in Hebrew, Pastor. Believe me, there's no article here. It's the ha, it's a H, H-A. But, the, but here's the whole point when I'm talking about this. Whenever there's a marker, it always refers to something specific. It doesn't just do something in general. It's very something specific. So if this was written in Hebrew, it says for, for maybe they rebelled against David, it would literally read for maybe they rebelled against the David. They always put an article there. And if there is no article there, it still is a singular person because the marker always has to be a definite article. So here's what I'm trying to say. That whenever you read this, that there is a, a pointer it lets us know that's something specific. I say all of this because if you look at Genesis 1-2 and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, there is no marker in this. So we don't know if we're talking about something specific or are we talking about, now you notice spirit. In Hebrew, that word is wind, breath, spirit. All three. It could be any three of those. And you can apply any of those to here and they work. Because it was the breath of God. It was the wind of God. It was the Spirit of God. But reason why we translate it as the Spirit is because we know we're talking about that it was God's presence that was there. So if you want to make an argument for the Trinity based upon this, it really does have problems and issues with the text. But here's what I want to tell you about the Trinity. Number one, no one knows exactly everything about the Trinity. I would tell you that to begin with. No one knows everything about the Trinity. And I also tell you that there's some very important things in the Old Testament that we skip over and we don't really appreciate. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word Lord, you notice that it's all caps. Let's talk about Yahweh. And our God is singular. And the Lord is one. In context, God is singular. But it's like I said, Elohim's always plural. So here we're talking about the Lord, Yahweh, is one. It's the smallest amount. It's one. It's one singular. So this is what they believe. Jesus even repeated this in the New Testament. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one. So why do I say that the Trinity is there? Because we know this. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself told us that there is a triune Godhead that he is pointing us to. And you know what's fascinating? The Old Testament does it as well. 
It, it paints this beautiful picture of a triune God. But see, Colossians tells us that the mystery has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now, but it is now disclosed to the Lord's people. What changed? It was the cross. The cross changed everything. The cross helped us see the whole picture. The Bible says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing that has been made. Uh, without Him nothing was made that has been made. The Bible tells us that it was Jesus who spoke. It was Jesus who was there. And when we read in the Old Testament, and God said, it was Jesus speaking. The Father desired it, Jesus was speaking, and the presence of God was here. It's a beautiful picture, but we don't get this picture until the Old Testament. And the reason why I say that, it says, some, some people say, some people say, you know what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know, I'm just going to believe whatever I believe. But it is important, because see, God's Word is trying to tell us a story. And if we don't take time to carefully read His story, we will miss all of the beautiful things that God is trying to say. Colossians 1 2 or 1 15 says the son is the image of the visible God for the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created things in heaven and earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority all things have been created through him and for him the new testament had no problem understanding it was Jesus Hebrews 1 2 says 1 1 1 2 in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways but in these last days he spoke to us by his son whom appointed heir of all things and through him also he made the universe clearly the bible tells us that it was the trinity that was there and it was jesus that spoke and the reason why i say all of this is because as people who love the lord we want to read his word and i'm not necessarily talking to you today saying hey you're not reading your bible you should be really reading your bible i'm not talking but i am talking to a massive amount of people in the body of christ that are very illiterate when it comes to the word of god the Word of God is something that we have not really pushed in our society as much. Matter of fact, my daughter was just told a couple years ago in school that the Bible is useless in our society. That's the way the world thinks of us. That's the way the world thinks of the Bible. But once you remove the authority of God, once you remove the Creator from its creation, you remove the power of God. Because the Bible says that if you do not know Scripture, you do not know the power of God. And when you remove the power of God from your life, you do not have the ability to resist the things that are coming against you. But I know this, that if you hold on to his word and if you put his word in your heart, it will come alive. The Bible says it is active and living. The Bible tells us that his word is proven true every single time. In the, in the English Standard Bible um, Version, the Bible tells us that every word of God proves true. The Bible tells us that his word, God is perfect and his word is flawless. I believe in the Word of God, and I believe this with all my heart, that when God breathed into us, when God breathed into that matter, it all of a sudden became a living being. But because of sin, we died in our spirit, and because of that, we were waiting for another Savior to come. We were waiting for another Son of God to come, because remember in Luke, the Bible says that Adam, the Son of God, why? Because his Father came from heaven, and now Jesus was coming from heaven once again, and it was a Father who brought Jesus into this world by overshadowing Mary. And now once, because of Jesus, has died on the cross and rose again, now we have been given the right to be born of God. We are no longer of this 
image of this world and in this world we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and i want you to get this in your heart that if you hide the creator from its creation people will never know how awesome is god is and if you hide who we are in christ our image in him they will never know who we are and that's why i believe we have a society in america that doesn't know the power of god because they don't even know who they are you know the bible says you are wonderfully made you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible tells us that we were made and we were crowned with glory and honor, that when God looks at us, especially those now because we are in Christ Jesus, he says, you are my child. I am a son of God. I told my parents, I said, thanks for the, thanks for the upbringing, but you're done. You guys are good because now I have a heavenly father. who no, I still love my mom and dad. But you know what, though? <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> My mom, and, my mom and dad raised me. My mom and dad raised me. But when I gave my life to Jesus, I no longer became a son with ties to a bloodline. I became a son who was born of a kingdom that is not of this world. People just don't recognize that. Because we skip over this portion of Scripture because it's contained in a chapter that no one really wants to talk about, Genesis 1. But God tells us right at the beginning who he is, the creator, and who we are, his creation. And so I encourage you, get into his word. Now, you don't have to learn all the Hebrew stuff. You don't have to learn all this stuff. Just read his word, and he'll tell you. But when you go to look for help, as I preached before, you have to know his word. Because you've you got to know that sometimes people are telling you things that are just not right. I was, I was researching into a ministry that they were just spot on in every single thing. And he said something that just kind of bothered me. And I went back and I dug a little deeper. And pretty soon this gentleman was teaching that none of us go to hell because hell doesn't exist. Hell is not a real place. And, and yet when you go and search for certain questions about the Bible, you will find this gentleman on the internet search. But see, what are they really teaching? I want to teach the whole word of God. And, and, and listen, you may disagree with me. You may disagree with me 100%, and that's fine. I'm not always right. I know that. But I will have a scriptural path to what I believe. And if you show me something different, hey, I will learn. I will grow. I will take it. I'm a student of his word. I was, whenever I'm challenged with a Bible verse, I go and I look into it. Why? Because I just want to know him. I want to know him. And so my encouragement, my desire is this, that I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is my prayer for you, that you would know him better, that you would have a desire, a deep desire to gain the wisdom that comes from God, to gain the revelation that comes from God. Now, sometimes people hear this word revelation, and you're thinking, oh, man, I'm not a prophet. Listen, you don't have to be a prophet, because you know what the revelation is? It's called his word. He's already revealed it to you, and that is the revelation that you get to discover. Listen, I don't want to teach anything new. I'm not up here saying, hey, I'm the only pastor that has this wisdom and this knowledge. No, -uh. guess what? I plagiarize a lot. I, I copy and paste the Bible all the time because it's his word. It's his word. And so I encourage you, as we get ready to, to move on into the summer months and we get excited to be able to, to finally be outside. I mean, it's beautiful to be outside with that glorious 
bright sun and mosquitoes. I mean, we love it. But when you're out there, we are just, our time goes so quickly because we enjoy those moments we have. But I encourage you, do not give up on seeking God. You hold on to his word. You keep believing. You keep trusting. You keep reading. And you know what? He's going to give you wisdom, and he's going to reveal himself to you. And you know what happens when you do that? You're going to start to see that your creator can do anything. Just as we were worshiping today, and I don't know who this is for, but just as we were worshiping today earlier, I saw someone that was standing there, and you felt like the wave was coming at you. You felt like all hell was coming against you. And the Lord didn't ask me to share it then, but he's asking me to share it now. And you know, you are so afraid of what you see that you've forgotten who he is. Don't ever stop seeking God because when you realize who he is, you realize that he is for you and not against you, that he will stand there with you and there is nothing that can prevail against you. That there is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. He will not let it happen. He is watching over you. And you need to just hold on, but you'll never know who he is unless you get into his word. So I encourage you, be people of the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this message, Father, you've asked me to teach this, Lord, and it's, it's, for me it's difficult because it's not my style. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable for me. But I'm doing what you asked me to do because, Lord, I believe you want us to be students of your word. You want us to be people who will really look into the text and take your word at face value, that we would know who you are as the creator and that we would know who we are as your creation. Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord. I pray, God, that today, Lord, you would give people a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, even me, God, open my eyes as well so that I would know you better, we would know you better, and we would learn the truth that has been revealed to us. God, that we would be good students, good students of the word, and that we would handle it correctly. And Lord, we're not going to be afraid because we have the Holy Spirit that will guide and direct us as we read your word. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to be people of the word so that when the all hell comes against us, just like you showed me this person that felt like the tidal wave was coming, that we would be people of the word knowing that you are for us and not against us, that you will help us, you will give us victory, and you will, Lord, do whatever is necessary in order for us to have what you have promised us. Help us to be people of your word, to be people of faith, not to shrink back, but to have confidence. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. And I pray, God, that this summer, Lord, would be a summer where we seek you like never before and that you would reveal yourself like never before. We love you so much. We thank you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day. God bless you guys.